I'd like to invite you to turn with me again to the book of John. We're in John chapter 3, and we'll begin reading where we left off last time. It'll take us a number of weeks to get through John chapter 3, being that the material there is uh, quite full. But let me read to you, uh, beginning in verse 9. And we'll read through verse 15. That's John chapter 3, verse 9. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen. But you do not receive our testimony. Verse 12, if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Let's pray. Father in heaven, We ask for your help right now to understand your word. We ask you as the master teacher to make it clear to us that you would focus our attention, that we'd be able to uh, put down any distraction or, or worry or care has to do with our week to come or something that took place this past week. But Lord, that we would be able to understand a passage that talks about not understanding your word. Lord, I ask that you help me uh, that the things said would be clear and not clouded with too many words. We thank you for our time together. We expect great things because you are a great God and we ask this in your name. Amen. Well, how many of you have been for a checkup recently? Maybe because of this, what do they call that, the, the flu or the congestion or the crud? I just call it the plague. <laughs> and the plague has visited our home. That's where my wife and children are. They're watching um, online. And uh, I've been... Uh, carrying it around with myself since Thursday or Friday. But this would be a different type of a checkup. The checkup where you go in early before you go in to see your doctor. And uh, they stick the rubber band around your arm. Then they tell you this won't hurt. Which is a lie. (laughs) And they take some blood and they send that off to the place you probably are as excited about as I am. I love paying LabCorp, don't you? And uh, then you go visit your doctor and you get the results. And usually, it's probably worse for men than ladies because men typically want to go in as optimists. I'm fine. I feel great. I have no stress. I've been eating better and I do exercise. But then there comes the results, right? And the doctor will tell you whether or not what you think is correct 
or whether what he has on paper is correct. And usually there's a difference between, a discrepancy between what you expect and what you, you get. And what you get there is reality. And they might prescribe different habits of exercise, eating, maybe even some type of drug to lower uh, the cholesterol or, or whatever it is. In our passage this morning, we're going to find something similar where this man goes into a meeting with Jesus thinking that he has a handle on certain things. After all, he has a reputation uh, as a scholar, as a uh, member of the Sanhedrin, as one that the entire town looks to as the one who understands and explains things. He of all should know these things. But we find out that the reality of it is, is not the same. And as to the point of this message in, in that respect, I had heard it put that way from another pastor. Put it in the form of a question. What is your reputation as a fill-in-the-blank, a professional, a teacher, a mother, a father? You fill in the blank, but there's your reputation, and then there is reality. And maybe that is close to what you have as your reputation, Maybe there's a large discrepancy. And we've been asking ourselves the question as we go through this, uh, this Gospel of John. We've asked it on a number of occasions. Do we really know this Jesus like we think we do? Because he's doing things that we wouldn't expect him to do. Saying things we wouldn't expect him to say. So we're learning things about Jesus we haven't known yet. Same could be true about us. Do we know ourselves as well as we think we do? Or is it something like this? The closer we get to Jesus, the more we realize there's a discrepancy in that as well. That there's, there's more to us than we think we know about ourselves. So what we're going to get to see today is Nicodemus, not only as exhibit A as to someone who believed in Jesus, but Jesus didn't quite believe his belief. That was last week's message from the end of chapter 2, which was a sobering statement that there are people who are believing in Jesus but John tells us Jesus himself did not entrust himself to them he didn't believe them there's something missing and Nicodemus is exhibit a of that but we're also going to see a good example of so many of us who think we've got a, a pretty good hold on some things spiritually speaking only to find out there's a lot we don't know and the best thing to do in response to a message like this is to beg the Lord for a teachable spirit. I remember being taught one time by a fellow who said, there's two ways to enter a meeting full of people. There's entering that with your mind made up. You're likely to walk out of that meeting the same as you walked in, having learned nothing. But he said, there's also the ability to walk into a meeting knowing your mind but being open to learning something where your mind is found to be insufficient to the other minds in the room. And that's what we must do when we read Scripture. We know our mind. We know what we believe. But we will let the Lord have a blank check to rearrange the priorities of our mind when they don't measure up to His Word. So we'll organize this passage we've read in, in three points, uh, three of them, three different ways in which Nicodemus did not understand something. And that'll give us 
uh, a bridge over to verses 16 and 17 that we'll look at next week and what it means uh, to understand Jesus having come into the world not to condemn the world but that through him the world may be saved. But there's some things we need to understand before we get there. Things that Nicodemus did not. So number one is Nicodemus did not understand his Bible. Which must have been tough to hear. And maybe that has something to do with the way that he acts in this sit down with Jesus Christ at night. And we familiarized ourselves with the passage last week that this man came to Jesus and had these questions to ask. And maybe, maybe, we don't know, the Bible doesn't tell us, but maybe Nicodemus was there when Jesus cleansed the temple. And it changed the way he thought about this man. He has to go check these things out. But look at verse 10, about midway through. This is what Jesus says. Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? You talk about getting dressed down. This, this is kind of like a, 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 what do they call those? You, you're right out of uh, boot camp. And, and you get what? Private or private first class, right? Well, Jesus is about 33. He's better than a private first class, but he's speaking to a general. And he says, you are the teacher in Israel and you don't understand these things that he'd been talking about so we're, we're a little further into the conversation than we were last week so his reputation was that he knew it frontwards and backwards and Jesus is saying that he didn't even understand the basics now again this is exploding heads territory for those that would say he said what to him this is Nicodemus you can't do that. And just think about what it might have been like, say, in our culture. You've got this very recognized author, this uh, 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 authority on his uh, realm of scholarship coming to talk to the new guy who just cleansed the temple. And the cameras are rolling. What does he say? Do you want to try to find an elaborate way to get on the same page so that you both can walk off shaking hands? Or... Or would it be the time to show your differences in what you both think? But then again, you're not going to be able to count on each other for book endorsements and things like that if, if, if that's what happens. So how does this go down? Well, Jesus blows right through any type of caution sign or stop sign and just tells him straight out, you, you don't understand these things, which is a mystery because you should. You're the teacher in Israel. Well, his question here was, how can these things be? And it's as if Jesus is saying, how can you be so off base? There's a major discrepancy, the size of the moon, between who he presumed to be and who he really was. Now, one thing that came to mind when thinking through this uh, was the situation at Liberty University where I visited campus for some reason I can't remember why I did it was not the memorable thing when I left that day uh, but I had decided to meet my brother-in-law that's that's Corey's brother uh, in Greek class because he had the same professor I had years earlier and I don't know why I thought that that'd be a good idea because as soon as I got there there's one chair left right on the front in the corner 
And that's where I sat down. And just as Dr. Borland had done every time he ever had Greek class, he starts out with reading. I didn't have a book. He handed me his. And he said, why don't you read for the class this, this first part? It had been three or four years since I'd been there. And he didn't introduce me who I was and that I was a pastor at a church somewhere. And I don't know how I did it. But I was lucky it was in John's gospel and it was easy stuff. And I read the first few lines and next guy's turn. And what I avoided was the fact that everybody in there probably should have seen quite obviously that most of what I learned in that class I forgot since I was in there. Could have been very humiliating. There was a big difference between even the students in there and me who had been there and had my diploma. But I couldn't show for it. At least I didn't feel like it. It was terrifying. Put yourself in a situation like that. Not with a professor, but with your Savior, Jesus Christ. And the topic is what he'd given to you as his revealed word. And you knew what that word was. And you've had a copy of that word for some time. And you'd been teaching other people about this. And now it comes down to the fact that this glaring truth is that you know far less of it than you should. This is quite a thing to think about. Now, he should have known this. That's implied in what Jesus says. You're the teacher and you don't understand these things. He should have known. And what he should have known about was the new birth. That's what he's having trouble with. That's what Jesus said. Don't marvel that I said you must be born again. And we went through some of this last week, but I could have, uh, we went in uh, Jeremiah 36, we'll do that again, but in Jeremiah 31, it says, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them, I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. That's what's going to happen in time. This is what Nicodemus should see coming on the horizon. Then there was Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? He's going to give us a new heart because the heart we've got is broken. And it will lie to us. It will misguide us. Then there's what we read last week. I will sprinkle clean water on you and shall be clean from all uncleanness. From your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk within my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. All of those had to do with a new heart. Not a a heart that's born again physically. This is more like a transplant, a spiritual heart transplant. And then if you're reading, continuing through... Ezekiel and Jeremiah, you get to uh, Ezekiel 37, which is after 36, what we just read, and there's that very dramatic uh, illustration of this new heart, and you may remember it from Sunday school, it was the vision of the valley of dry bones, do you remember that? (coughs) We think of like pirates and stuff when we think of bones, but... Dry bones in a valley of dry bones. Lots of bones. And they were dry, dusty. Which means they are as dead of a body as you can possibly get. Um, 
I remember a pastor going through this and he said, there is dead and then there's show enough dead. <laughs> this is show enough dead, dead dry bones. But the vision, what happens with the vision? He says, prophesy to the dry bones. Begin to speak the truth of the gospel and what happens. And if there's ever a passage in the scripture that was just fit for uh, computer animated graphics and the way Hollywood can do that now, to watch these bones come together in the right places and stand upright and then to have the the sinew as is described come up the, the ligaments and the tendons and then muscles and then flesh and then finally they begin to breathe that is what is being described as the new birth but it's spiritually speaking you are dead without what Christ would do on the cross for you that is the life and it is given to you by grace you receive it by faith it's a completely total remake of you not a reboot a remake new birth Nicodemus doesn't quite understand this he should have known it was a heart problem from the beginning and the spirit was the only hope it wasn't that he just needed a bath that his heart needed some help that he just needed to drill down a little harder with the commandments it wasn't going to be that way at all all man's problems are heart problems. Say it again. All men's problems are heart problems. They always have been. Our sin is a heart problem. It's not something that you get from a water fountain or from touching the doorknob or from being sneezed on. We were born that way. And we need redemption. So Jesus is saying to Nicodemus that he didn't know his Bible. He should have seen this coming. When he's talking in terms of a new birth, he should say, Oh, you mean like in 37 of Ezekiel, 36, Jeremiah. But it's not coming together. I suppose we could turn the question in on ourselves. How often do we read our Bibles? Do we understand it? Did we see this coming? You know, there are those who like to read their Bibles for purposes of being able to absolutely dismantle the other Bible trivia players, right? There are those that love the biblical factoids. They're the ones that want to talk about real important stuff like, did Adam have a belly button? Can 10,000 angels fit on the head of a pen? Could God make a rock so big he couldn't pick it up? The gospel is not necessarily in those details. Nicodemus knew the factoids. His problem is putting them together. That's what we've got to be able to do. To have the, the wisdom of God to make sense out of his simple gospel. That has moving parts. But we do need to know how to assemble the simple machine. What is it that shapes your thinking and your feeling? Problem with Nicodemus was that his understanding of the Bible had not shaped his thinking in order to receive this new revelation that Jesus had given him. It's a good question for us. What shapes your thinking? 
I've heard this a thousand times. You tend to take on the characteristics of those you spend time with. That was used when we were in the home young so often I got tired of hearing it. But it's true. So if you want to know what is shaping your thinking, shaping how you feel things, what feels right, what feels wrong, then uh, probably the younger you are, you need to go no further than the little thing in the last or next to last iPhone update called screen time. It'll tell you how much you've been looking at that over your week. It's very humbling. And then it'll tell you which apps you were looking at, which apps you were spending time with. And it's not just that. It's the people you go to school with, uh, the people you work with. Everyone's talking. You've got information coming in your ears and eyes all day long. How much Bible is there to combat those opposing angles and views? Because you might have some times where you can do the right thing, or make the right decision. Especially the better raising you had from home. But if the Bible does not have significant place in your life... Things will come along your way that just feel right that are dead wrong. Things that are dead wrong will just feel right. It has everything to do with what comes in, what is, makes up our, our thinking. If we're not spending regular, quality, consistent time in the Bible, then we'll be just the same as Nicodemus was. He didn't know his Bible. And to look at the church, you might think that they don't know there's either. What we need is a new heart. And that's not some hidden truth tucked away from plain sight. You don't need the, was it, uh, the, the Omega Code or something like that to find out that the Bible is telling us we need a new heart. But how many churches seem to be just bent toward working their way to salvation? And still don't understand it's your heart. And it needs to be replaced. So Nicodemus didn't only not understand his Bible. But Nicodemus didn't understand the error of his other sources. Look at verse 11. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen. But you do not receive our testimony. That's Jesus speaking here. And the word we, where he says, truly, truly, or amen, amen. I say to you, we speak of what we know. I think that's tied to the first we from the beginning of chapter 3. Look at that now. There was a man, verse 1, of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are the teacher come from God. So he, he, he's, there's some people involved there. We've been talking. We know these things. Well, Jesus is saying now, we speak of what we know. And we bear witness to what we've seen. Now the we there, is he talking about the Trinity? Along with the Father and the Holy Spirit? Or is he including his disciples? It's kind of hard from the grammar we've got here to nail that down. But it makes sense that it's likely to do with him and the Father. Being that he seems to talk about the Father so much. Pray to the Father all through his ministry on earth. He says, but do you do not receive our testimony? Now, if anybody's wondering whether or not Nicodemus is born again, at that juncture, I don't think that he's got uh, much to his credit. 
to hear Jesus say that we know what we've seen and we know that you have rejected our testimony. So what we have to say, you reject. So Nicodemus is not born again at this point and he doesn't understand what Jesus is saying and Jesus is now calling him out on the fact that he's listening to other sources. Nicodemus didn't understand the error of his other sources. Who's the we? We know. Well, Jesus says, I've got one better than those guys who you think that you get your understanding from. How about we, referring to Jesus and his father? Look what he says in verse 12. Actually, not verse 12 yet, but the second half of verse 11. And bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not share our testimony. Then verse 12, I have told you earthly things and you do not believe. How can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Now, what does he mean by the difference between heavenly things and earthly things? Well, likely he's talking about salvation as being an earthly thing. You say, well, this doesn't sound earthly. It sounds quite spiritual to me, but it happens here on earth. And you can see the signs of someone's conversion. They begin to act less like their old man and more like the new man. But then he says, how can you, if you don't get born again, which is an earthly thing, then how can you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And then in verse 13, he begins to tell him of a heavenly thing. Now, just stick with me here. We're getting deep, but we'll, we'll wrap all this up. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. That's a little difficult to parse out in the Greek and understand what is meant by this. But most of the scholarship believes that what Jesus is saying is this. Because when we look at it, no one has ascended into heaven. Well, yeah, there, there was a man in a chariot taken into heaven. There was the fellow who was there and then was not. And later we could say that Elijah actually came back at the Mount of Transfiguration. But what Jesus is saying, the emphasis seems to be on the last part of the sentence. Except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. What Jesus is saying is this, Nicodemus, your sources are inferior to my testimony. Because I've actually come from heaven. My words to you are unmitigated evidence from the halls of heaven. From the throne of God. There's no mediator. There's no translation here. I am speaking to you the truth of God Almighty. Anything else that you think might have to do with this or whether it matches up with it, that doesn't matter because that's inferior to this. That's a heavenly thing which you don't recognize. So he didn't understand the error of his other sources and didn't understand the authority of Christ's witness. Only Jesus who left heaven can speak authoritatively on the things of heaven. So what he says is truth. He's come from heaven. Non-mediated knowledge of the Father. Now the question is very simple. And we all come to a point where we must answer the same thing. Are you going to listen to Jesus? And you're making your decisions from day to day? You know, there are plenty of people that will help. I mean, how many friends do you have that are very willing to give you what they think on 
a situation. Some of your friends, you have to ask them for it. I'd like your help with this. Others, they'll give it to you. You didn't ask them. You might still have some friends where you say, I've got enough. I don't need your help with this anymore. But add all that together from the previous point. Knowing your Bibles, that's God's witness. It's His Word. It comes straight from heaven and it's absolutely true. When it comes down to what we're going to do, how we're going to do it, with whom we're going to do these things, do we listen to Jesus? Do we know what Jesus said? Do we take Him at His Word? So we're back to the previous point of knowing the Word with a capital W, that's Jesus, through the Word of God, which is the Bible, but adding a layer to it. Do you know Jesus, the words from God, and do you obey them such that you are shaped by them? Can we learn from Nicodemus and that he was not? Who are you listening to who is speaking into your decision-making apparatus? So with a heart that is deceitfully wicked, it's important to listen to Jesus and not listen to ourselves or listen to others. And then number three, this is the last point. Nicodemus did not understand what Jesus was here to do. And we'll have to pick up the pace here, but this is where it seems to all come together. Verse 14 is an illustration. He's he's wrestling here with Nicodemus. They're thinking, I think Nicodemus is genuine. I don't think he's being a smart aleck. But he's got further to go. He needs to hand his trust over to Jesus. In verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. So must the son of man be lifted up. That whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now that last verse. Verse 15 sounds a lot like verse 16 doesn't it? At least a part of verse 16. As if 16 is just a way to expand upon what's said in verse 15 that whoever believes may have eternal life be born again but verse 14 is said as something that must take place in order that verse 15 may be reality as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness whatever that was so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life He's getting even closer to a clear picture of what the gospel and new birth is exactly like. Do you remember the story of the bronze serpent from the Old Testament? Next time you go to the doctor or see uh, an ambulance or even the logo for Blue Cross Blue Shield, you'll see a serpent around a a cross. The serpent has been an icon for healing uh, ever since we started studying our Bibles where what happened was the children of Israel were griping and complaining. They didn't have any food and water this out in the wilderness. And God sent these fiery serpents to bite them. And if they were bitten, they would eventually die from the poison. But then Moses prays and God gives them this, this what would look to appear to be like a, a graven image, an idol. But it's a serpent on a post and all they have to do is look at it I mean it's a pretty simple offer life for a look all you got to do and then find out there are people that didn't even want to do that good grief you're you're dying of snake venom but you don't want to look at a bronze snake and later they had to destroy it because people started uh, trying to worship it as well but the idea of that Jesus is using is, is an illustration 
You're dying, but there's something else. If you look to, can cure your illness. And it's sin that's killing us. And it involves forgiveness of sins. So to know Christ, that he's describing here, is to know him crucified. In order for whoever believes may have eternal life, there has to be this business of being lifted up. The Son of Man must be lifted up. The imagery is clear. Lifted up on the cross. He's talking about his crucifixion. Okay? That's when he was lifted up. And that is where we probably see the greatest mystery of the mingling between God's greatest victory at the same time being his greatest humiliation. Having the Son of God suspended between heaven and earth on a cross with the sins of mankind on his shoulders dying in agony. You would think end of story for those poor disciples. This is all over with. He's dead. At the same time, he has broken the power of sin forever by paying, according to his father's demands, a satisfactory payment for the sins of the world. And folks, this is where it's very helpful with those that are having great difficulty uh, in pulling together what looks like uh, an inconceivable merger of two things that would never go together you hear people say how can God be loving and at the same time condemn people this holiness of God that cannot look on sin and promises to punish sin I don't know if I understand that part of the same God that you say is loving well it's because they haven't seen the cross yet where his holiness And his love meets. Because every drop of his white hot furious anger and wrath on sin was poured out. On who? The world? On his son. In your place. That's where they both meet. So what Jesus is telling Nicodemus right here is very simple. If you must be born again then I must be lifted up. The only way you'll be born again is that I pay for the transaction. And if you trust me, you can have everlasting life. Trust me. Believe me. Look at it. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. So Nicodemus' question is well put. How can these things be? How can I be born again? Because of the gospel. Because of the cross. Because of his must be lifted up. So that he must be born again. The call of the gospel is not birth yourself. That's not how it works. The call of the gospel is you must believe. And when you believe... You have been born again. So in conclusion, I just leave you with one last thought. Because this is where my mind is and it will be this way for some time. But anyone with children in their home probably needs to think at times that your position in that home is a prophet prophesying over dry bones. Preaching the truth. 
into what is deadness. Because we're, we're born that way. We must have the truth. We must understand to believe. And in believing you are newborn. So preachers preach to dead bones. Daddies teach and encourage dry bones. You go to work with dry bones. College campuses are full of dry bones. What do they need? They need to be born again. So prophesy. How do I prophesy? You just tell the truth of the gospel. It's John 3.16. It's really not your story. You're just pointing to someone else's story. The gospel is good news of what has already been done in the past for you so that you can be saved. We've got a lot to think about, don't we? We've still got verses 16 and 17 to go. So with that said, there's enough for us to be prayerful over. And responsible too, so let's ask the Lord's help in doing so. Father in heaven, the conclusion of this message and such a piece of truth that you've commanded us to be born again. And then you explain to us that the way that that happens is because you were lifted up. Because of your death on the cross, we can be made alive. Your death means our life. Your righteousness means our righteousness. Our sins mean your punishment, not ours. So Lord, may all these things make sense to us. And for the person who's thinking through these things, these claims of truth, Lord, I ask that you quicken their spirit. Give them the gift of belief. That it makes sense in their mind that they trust you with their future, with eternity. Lord, thank you for the the privilege it is to spend Sundays together with your word. Thinking through the truth of, of almighty God's gift of grace. Lord, we ask these things in your precious name. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we began our worship service today by singing of your greatness and how greatly you are to be praised. Thank you for the opportunity that we've experienced to reflect on the richness and purity of your love, a love that endures forever. We are so grateful that you love us and that you love the world so much that you sent Jesus to die on the cross. Lord, thank you for the absolute truth of your word in which we've read and have been taught that everyone who believes in Christ may have eternal life in him. Lord, we pray today for our Mission of the Week TVR Christian Camp and Retreat Center. This is a special place for many of us here, Lord, and we pray for the staff at the camp and especially for the director, Greg Oakley, who continues to struggle with some significant health concerns. So, Lord, we ask for you to bring healing and restoration to Greg in your perfect timing and as you see fit. And as we leave today, God, we ask that you would help each of us to make the most of the opportunities that you give us to tell others about your redemption and the new heart that you can give them. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.